If you would, if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3. As you're turning there, uh, let me tell you about a man named Jeremy Bentham. So in the early 1800s, there was this guy named Jeremy Bentham, and he, he had a lot of money. He was a very wealthy guy. And he approached the University College Hospital in London. And he said, I'll make you a deal. If, when I die, if you will embalm me and allow me to sit in on your board meetings to come, I will give you everything. I'll give you all my money and all my wealth. Interesting arrangement. And apparently the hospital really needed the money because they abided by his request. And so he died in 1832. And to this day, I believe, his preserved body is brought out for the anniversary board meetings. And every time, the chairman of the board says, Jeremy Bentham present, but not voting. Really the perfect board member, if you think about it, because you get all of his money and none of his opinions, right? So here's the thing. Here's the point. Dead people can't do anything. Not anymore. So we're in a series right now called Dear Church. And what we're doing is we are looking at a series of letters that the Lord Jesus himself instructed John the Apostle to pen and send to seven specific churches, all going through different things. And the letter that we're going to be studying today was written to a church in a city called Sardis. Now, what was notable about the church at Sardis is they were actually dying, which is sad in and of itself, and that was taking place some 2,000 years ago, but let's get real, that still happens here today, does it not? Churches are dying all over our nation. I'm going to give you a few statistics. So Southern Baptist churches have lost 2 million members. Let me read that again. Southern Baptist churches have lost 2 million members since 2006. In addition to that, 4,500 churches are closing annually. Over 4,000 churches are closing annually. 3,000 churches a year are being planted, which means that statistically we are losing 1,500 churches per capita in this nation every year. To further this point, uh, there's a survey that's been going on since the 1930s. And the survey really just asked the religious affiliation of United States citizens. So let me show you a few statistics here. So in the 1930s and 1940s, only 5% of Americans marked none for religious affiliation. That's not a whole lot, 5%. You notice 50 years later in 1990, it creeps up a little bit to 81 but then the pace starts to pick up. In 2008, that increased to 15%, almost double. 2012, 20%. 2021, over 30%. Just process with me. From 1940 to 2021, a swing from 5% of Americans saying no religious affiliation to now over 30% of United States citizens saying no religious affiliation. So what's happening? I think our nation is progressively turning away from God. And I think we're also seeing churches are dying. 
I, I don't want to be all doom and gloom this morning because I don't believe that all churches are dying. But we should, as members of Christ church, we should want to know how can we safeguard our church from dying? What can we do to prevent that? And does God's word speak to that? And the answer is yes. God's word does speak to this anomaly that takes place in many churches across our nation. So with that being said, let's go to the Word of God together. Would you stand with me in honor of the initial reading of God's Word? Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So this letter was written to the church in a city called Sardis. Sardis was an important city of its day. It was about 50 miles to the east of Ephesus. And what was interesting about Sardis was that there were five main thoroughfares, five roads that all converged in the city of Sardis. And so, especially in Bible times, what you saw was Sardis became a bustling hub of business and commerce. And so there was great wealth in the city of Sardis, both in the city and even in the church. In fact, the people in Sardis were so wealthy, the city was so well off, that one of their main roads going through town was made of marble. You know your city's showing off if you've got a marble road, right? So this is a wealthy area, a wealthy group of people, and in the midst of their wealth, what they were feeling was comfort. In addition to that, uh, Sardis, uh, the, the Acropolis of Sardis, was about 1,500 feet above the, the rest of the road. And so there were steep cliffs leading up to that portion of Sardis. And so the people of Sardis felt incredibly safe. It, it was like a fortress. And, and so you got this comfort and you got this feeling of safety. And so Jesus, through the Apostle John, speaking to the church in Sardis, is basically saying, hey, look, I know you feel comfortable. I know you feel safe. But I've got some news for you. In fact, you're in grave danger. In comes the letter. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Jesus referencing himself. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation 
sense of being alive. But you are dead. This brings us to our first point this morning. Nothing is as helpless as death. This church had a reputation. Jesus said that. They, they had a reputation of being alive. But what does Jesus tell them is their actual state? He goes on, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. To contextualize this, to modernize this, I think Jesus was describing a church that if you were to look at their social media account today, it looks like they're doing great. Okay? They've got the good pictures. They've got their reputation of being alive. Things are going really well from the outside looking in. But Jesus looks at the state of this church, the spiritual condition of this church, and he basically says you're on life support. You're dying. And this was a church that was no longer meeting the needs of the community and city around it. Broken homes no longer being mended. Boys and girls no longer being trained up in the way they should go. Spirit-filled worship and gatherings like these was not happening, and prayer was all but lost. They were functionally dead. Which is why Jesus goes on to say this in verse 2. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Which brings us to our second point for today. Number two, dead ears can't hear the loudest shout. And that's true. If that's where they are, if they are truly dead, then talking is pointless. And this is the direction the church is heading, but as it says here in verse 2, that they are about to die. Anyone here ever seen the movie The Princess Bride? It's only the best movie ever. Okay? But in that movie, there's the character Miracle Max, right? And so Miracle Max is trying to figure out if Wesley is dead. And what does he say? I won't try to impersonate the voice. It wouldn't go well. But he says there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead, right? Here's the thing. This church, they were not all dead. But they were mostly dead. They, they weren't doing great. And so Jesus calls them out. He goes on to say this in verse 2. He says, wake up. He literally says those words. He looks at his church whom he loves, whom he gave his life to save, and he says, wake up. Sometimes we need to hear that, do we not? That's what this church needed to hear. The church in Sardis, as well as the community around them, they've got so complacent, so comfortable, they're, they're good, and they're safe. They've got money, so they don't really have any needs. They feel safe where they are physically, which, by the way, random fact, the city of Sardis was invaded two times, and both times it was invaded was because the guards didn't do their job. Because the guards were like, eh, we're good, you know? And they just kind of kicked back and relaxed and eating Slim Jims, you know? They were fine, but they weren't. And that's also what the spiritual attitude was of the church. And that's a dangerous place to find yourself. Here's what I think the lay of the land was for the church in Sardis. 
I think they were probably well respected in the community. I think the town around them saw them as a moral group of people. They've got some standards, some ethics about them. I think there was probably a weekly rhythm of gathering together for services. I think they were really good at playing church. Through the years, my kids do that sometimes. They, they figure out who's the worship pastor and who's the pastor, and they take up the offering. Okay, they do that all in their bedroom, okay? That's them playing church. I think they were really good at playing church. But they had gone from a mentality of gaining ground in the kingdom of God to now they've swapped a mode of preservation. Let's just keep what we got. Let's enjoy the benefits of our salvation. Let's just keep this to ourselves. So they kind of huddled up in their holy huddle and that devotion and that zeal for the Lord just waned. It, it just went away and the flame was almost out. But Jesus says to them with that flame that's just flickering, and he says to them, wake up. Wake up. If we need to hear those words this morning, hear them. Okay? Wake up. If you feel like you're going through the motion spiritually, you probably are. Wake up. I say that in love. Not coming down on you. There are times that I need to hear those words to wake up. And that's exactly what Jesus was telling his church here. Church, we need the Lord. Whether we have a lot in this life or whether we have little. We need the Lord whether we're having really great days or whether we're having really hard days. You need the Lord. And as I often like to quote a pastor that once told me, you need the Lord to go to Walmart. You just need Him every day, all day, in any circumstance. You need the Lord. Amen, church? So Jesus tells the church to wake up. The second thing He tells them, basically, to step up. Look at verse 2 again. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. I love old cars. Anyone else love old cars? I love old cars. I always have. Me and my dad always like to, as we say, piddle with old cars. But I love it especially when someone takes a car that's really about to die. And then they take it and they put in some blood, sweat, and tears and a lot of money and parts. And then they bring that car to life, right? They bring it back from the dead. And that's basically what Jesus is telling the church to do here. Take what you have, strengthen what remains. Maybe you and I need to hear that today. Maybe you are a Christian, and maybe you do have that relationship with God, but if you're being really transparent about the proximity in that relationship, you're pretty distant from God. Maybe here lately, your, your, your flame looks more like a flicker. Strengthen what remains. You have that little flame. Strengthen it. How do we do that? I'm going to give you some answers that you're going to be like, duh, but really, they're this important. Read your Bible. Okay? Be serious. Read God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. Psalm chapter 1 is my favorite chapter in the Bible. 
it describes the type of person that meditates on the law of God. They're like a tree planted by streams of water. They bear fruit and they don't wither. No matter what, the, what storms of life may come, no matter what happens, you can be rooted and planted because of the Word of God taking root in your life. And you can weather any storm and you can bear fruit in any circumstance. Read your Bible. Another encouragement? Pray. Yeah, it's, it's that simple. Read your Bible and pray. The Apostle Paul told the church at Thessalonica, he said to pray without ceasing. I think he said that because we have a mentality in our heads, as long as I say a prayer in the morning and then maybe a prayer at night and oh yeah, the blessing at lunch, then we're good. But Paul's saying, no, you need the Lord throughout the day. Pray without ceasing. Have that constant communication with the Lord. So get in His Word. Pray. I'm going to offer one more encouragement. Maybe this is something you've never done before, or maybe it's been a long time. Try fasting. The Bible talks about fasting. It's not a popular topic to talk about, but it's there. And actually, Jesus, talking to His followers, He didn't, he didn't say, hey, you should try fasting. He said, and when you fast, fast like this. If you don't know what fasting is, fasting is denying yourself something. And when you feel those desires for that something, you remind yourself, I need him more than I need that. And if you want to dig a little deeper, the Bible describes fasting as fasting from food. And when you feel those hunger pains, you remind yourself, I need Jesus more than I need a cheeseburger right now. Okay? I need God more than I need anything else in this life. And so I believe Jesus is looking at the church at Sardis here. I think he sees the flicker. And I think he's saying, hey, take that and strengthen it. Strengthen what remains. And he goes on to offer another encouragement along these lines. He encourages them to keep it. Keep up. Look at verse 3 again. Remember then... What you received and heard, keep it and repent. Do you remember when you became a Christian? Do you remember when you heard the gospel of Jesus? And maybe you grew up in the church and maybe you'd heard it a thousand times before, but for whatever reason, on that day or that morning or that night, you heard what Christ did for you and you saw your sin, and you saw your need for a Savior, and you surrendered all. You gave everything to King Jesus. I think what Jesus is telling the church here is saying, remember that. Remember that. Keep that. Hold on to what you have heard and received. Keep it and repent. I believe your testimony can be much like a grounding rod. And when you get further down the road, in life gets really hard, you get really discouraged, maybe doubt creeps in, you can look back and remember, oh yeah, I do remember. Oh yeah, I do remember what Jesus did for me then. I do remember the sanctification that I've seen, that, that process of how He's grown me. 
I do remember how he delivered me from this sin and that sin and this thing and that thing and how he provided for me here, how he answered that prayer, whatever. You look back and you remember. You remember what God has done. And that memory can be momentum. It can lead you into a state of repentance here. In the here and now. As the Bible says, it's your kindness, Lord, which leads me to repentance. May we church remember. May we keep that. Amen? Sometimes we need to hear these hard things like this. Sometimes we need to hear, hey, wake up, step up, keep up, you know, keep keep moving here. But Jesus lets the church know something. He lets the church at Sardis know. He says, hey, if, if he refused. I'm offering an invitation here, but if you refuse to repent, if you refuse to repent and you want to stay in your complacency, you want to continue to be apathetic in your faith and love towards me, then Jesus said he was going to do something about that. He said in verse 3, the latter part, he says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So if the church at Sardis refused, if they heard the pleas from Jesus in this letter, wake up, step up, keep up, if if they received this letter and they chose to refuse and to continue on as they have been going, Jesus lets them know judgment is coming. Discipline is coming. Keep in mind, Jesus has said something really similar to other churches in these other letters that we've studied so far. Jesus told the church at Ephesus, He said, hey, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your lampstand from you. He's like, no, I'm going to turn out the lights. The life of your church will be gone. And your church will be no more. He told the church at Pergamum, He said, hey, if you don't repent, I'm going to make war with the sword of my mouth. If they did not repent. And here he issues that moment of invitation and a warning to the church of Sardis. Don't repent. You won't know how. You won't know when. But judgment is coming. Discipline is coming. Now, here's the thing. Jesus did not want them to remain in their sin. Because Jesus wanted what was best for his church. He didn't want them to stay where they were because that was the worst thing that they could do. But because he loved them, he issues a stern warning. And along these lines, we learn about the gravity of our sin in the following verse. We learn that sin gives off a spiritual aroma. Let's look at verse 4 together. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, People who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Alright, if you've ever had a baby, you know exactly what this verse is talking about. So I remember when me and my wife Allison, we had our newborn Sam, and he was growing, and he had his first blowout. And y'all, we're in the car, and I'll never forget it. It was just one of those searing 
moments that I'm scarred by. And it was just, <laughs> it was so foul. It was so rank. She's gagging. I'm rolling down the windows. It was just rough, you know? Here's the thing. That's actually the language that Jesus uses here to describe how vile sin is in us. When we have unconfessed, unrepented sin in our lives, and when Jesus sees that in the life of his church, and that's the culture of a church, it's vile. It is foul to Jesus. The Bible teaches us that at all times we are giving off an aroma. I don't mean physically, that's true. But I'm talking about spiritual. We we are either giving off a very pleasing and pleasant aroma to the Lord with the way we live our lives, or we are giving off a very stinky aroma to the Lord in the way we live our lives. Let me show you a couple of verses along these lines. Check out Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. It says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what we learn in that verse is Jesus, when he offered up himself for you and for me and for the world, it was a fragrant offering to God because it was it was an act of love. But Paul says to the church here, he says, hey, walk in love as Jesus walked in love. And if we do that, if we walk in love toward others, then we are a fragrant offering to God. We are pleasing to the nostril of the Lord Almighty. So we see that on the positive side. We also see that on the negative side. Look what God told his people through the prophet Amos. Amos chapter 5, verse 21. This is the Holman Christian Standard Version. I hate. I despise your feast. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Really strong words from God to his people. He's saying, I know you're getting together. I know you're going through the spiritual motions, but can I tell you something? It stinks. It all stinks. Because of the unconfessed, unrepentant sin in the lives of his people. In church, let's get real. That could happen here. If we're not careful, these moments together, when we're singing these songs, as you hear someone preaching to you, this can become a stench to the Lord Almighty if we, as God's people, have unconfessed, unrepentant sin, and we say, no thanks, God. I'm going to keep doing things my way. I just want to check the spiritual box. pleases the heart of the Lord. So this is what was going on in the church of Sardis. They, they were not a fragrant aroma. What they were doing actually stunk to God. But not everyone in the church is guilty of this. And Jesus clarifies that in verse 4. He says, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. So apparently it was not a large percentage of people that were doing what they should. Apparently there were a few, it literally says that, a few people in this whole church that were not complacent. A few people that were loving the Lord as they should. 
a few people who had not dropped their guard spiritually. I think this is a good point for us to kind of get pause and to think and self-reflect a little bit. Maybe ask ourselves the question, I wonder, do I think the Lord God Almighty is mine? Or is the way I'm living my life, is my marriage and my work and the, the way that I'm interacting with people and my attitudes and my motivations and the way that I'm living this life, is it pleasing to God or is it completely displeasing to God? I pray that we as a church, both as individual members and corporately, that we are a fragrant offering to God. And can I say just in love for all of us. If you know, if you know for a fact that you kind of are a little stinky to the Lord this morning, that can change right now. You can surrender to the Lord. You can confess that to the Lord and you can repent. You can strengthen what remains. And you can wake up in all of that. The Lord can do a complete 180 in your heart. One last thing I want to share with you. Number four. Every dead church began with one person who quit caring. I think that's true. I think it was true for the church in Sardis. And let's be honest, that that that's very easy to allow to take place in our hearts and minds. It really is. We can become so consumed with self. We can be so consumed with our schedule, with our problems our work, even our own comfort. That can become an idol in and of itself. And when we become so self-consumed, so inwardly focused, what happens? We take our eyes off of Jesus. We're no longer setting our minds on things above. We are totally fixated on self. And that is not the way of a Christ follower. And when that becomes the culture of a church, we can find ourselves looking a lot like Sardis. Complacent, thinking we're safe, thinking we're good, and in reality we're not. So I do believe that that culture can begin with one person in the church. I also believe this. Every great revival began with one person who took his sin seriously. Think back through the scriptures. There's several moments of God's people that really led out in moments and periods of revival. Moses, when he came upon that burning bush and he realized it was the Lord God Almighty speaking to him. He does as he's instructed. He kicks off his sandals and he bows before that burning bush because it wasn't just before a burning bush. It was before the Lord God Almighty. When the prophet Isaiah had a vision that he saw God and he sensed that he was in the presence of God, what did Isaiah do? He bowed before the Lord God Almighty and he said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. Peter in the New Testament, he catches that huge boatload of fish, right? That Jesus told him how to catch. And when he realized, oh, wait a second, that's, that's the Messiah. 
he bowed before Jesus and he told Jesus, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. I am a sinner. Even John the Baptist, when he was just talking about Jesus, he's like, oh, Jesus? Yeah, I'm not even fit to untie his sandals. I'm not fit to untie his dirty feet that are in those sandals. I'm not worthy. Why? Why do we see that over and over again through the Scripture? I think simply put, because all of these people throughout history come to that realization, God is holy, I am not. In and of ourselves, church, we're not holy. In and of ourselves, we have nothing good to bring to the table. As the book of Romans says, there is none righteous, no, not one. believe we really need to take the words to start us very seriously. But let me clarify. I do not believe the downtown church is dying. At all. Okay? I really, really don't. I believe there is clear evidence that sanctification is taking place. I'm seeing the Spirit of God transforming brothers and sisters in this church, bringing them from one point of glory to the next, moving them along in their faith journey. We're seeing people get Saved. We're seeing this church grow. We're seeing all ministry areas growing right now. And y'all, there's a lot of great things that make me smile about this church right now. But can we get real? We're not promised that forever. We're not. If we get complacent, if we think we can drop our guard, if we think, eh, just check the box this week. If that becomes the culture of this church, we're going to miss it, church. We're going to miss the outpouring of His Spirit on this church, which I believe we're experiencing right now. We've got to guard ourselves. Amen. I don't know what your sin is. And I do believe everyone here has something going on in their heart in their life that maybe you need to confess and repent. Maybe you're much like Sardis, the people of Sardis. You've gotten lazy spiritually. You've gotten complacent. You're not taking the walk with the Lord seriously. Or maybe your sin is something else altogether. There's something in your life that you know does not belong. Whatever it is, this morning you have an opportunity an opportunity to confess in the past. There's a song that we used to sing in the church often called Come Ye Sinners. And in that song, it's identifying ourselves as sinners. But I love the chorus, which says, I will arise and go to Jesus. Even though I'm a sinner, even though God is holy and I'm not, I will arise and go to Jesus. Regardless of the nature of your sin, may we arise and go to Jesus this morning. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes this time. I believe God's word demands that every person in this room responds to his word. Maybe you identify with the people in that church 
Sardis. Maybe you've become lazy. Maybe you've not really been taking your walk with the Lord seriously. Ask the Lord to revive that in you. To strengthen what remains. To help you wake up. Maybe you're here today and you're realizing that you don't think you've ever noticed the Lord doing anything in you before. Maybe you see for the first time ever, I'm not even a Christian. Whether you want to surrender your heart to Jesus for the first time, or you want to confess, or you just want to come down and give thanks, the altar will be open and pews. I would love to pray for you and with you. Father, have your way with this church. Have your way with your people here at downtown church. Lord, may we never just go through the motions. Help us to be intentional. Help us to learn from what you have spoken to that church at Sardis so many years ago. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for Jesus. Have your way in us. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.